Okay, we're going to be in here on the bottom of Lamed Hayam with Bet. Two lines from the bottom. The Gemara ended off with the question as to what the blower of the shofar did with the shofar after he finished. So there was a suggestion that he took it home and then he put it away before Shabbat because it was Muqseh. The solution was in the end that he had a special place where he blew the shofar. And he used to put it away over there. And the Gemara wants to understand what is exactly the issue with carrying the shofar. Vatanya, shofar mitteltel, bechatzotzrot, ain mitteltelim. You're allowed to carry a shofar. You're not allowed to carry chatzotzrot. So shofar is what we know as a shofar. Chatzotzrot are trumpets. Amar Rav Lokasha. That's not a problem. Or it's Amar of Yosef Lokasha. Can be a chid, can be tzibur. Depends if it's an individual or it's the public at large. What's the difference between being a yachid and a tzibur? Why does it help you to be a yachid? So the Gemara suggests here by yachid, there's an alternative utility to the shofar, which would make it mutar to carry it, which is hoil. Because you use it as a funnel, a bottle, to give water to a young child. So the Gemara says, B'tzibur nami, chazi kani. It's true, on a public level, you don't feed everybody with the shofar, but the public is responsible for the care of those that are less fortunate. And therefore, if you have a poor person who needs to feed their child with this funnel, with this horn, then we would also let you do it. Vitu, and on top of that, Hadatanya, we have another brayta, Kishem Mishim Shofar, Kach Mitaltalim Et Achatzot Mani who's the author of that position then, based on what you're saying, then who would be the author of the position that just like you can carry the shofar, so too you can carry the chatzot's road. Basically now we have three opinions in the Gemara. We have a bright that we just read which says that you can carry shofar and chatzot's road, shofar and the trumpets. We have another bright that we just quoted which says that shofar can be carried, chatzot's road not. And then we had our original bright which seems to indicate that you cannot carry a shofar or a chutzutzot. You would have to put it away before the Shabbat began. So how do you reconcile between those three Tanaic works? Who's the author of those positions? And what are those positions? Three different opinions, three different authors. Umay shofar nami. And the word shofar anyway is chatzotzrot. Really is chatzotzrot. So let me explain this. We need a little background for this. Which is, we've bumped into Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda before already. That's a machloket about whether there's muksa and Shabbat or not. Rabbi Yehuda believes that there is muksa and Shabbat. Rabbi Shimon believes that there is no muksa and Shabbat. Throughout the Masechet Shabbat, as well as in other places, Beit Zairavin, we do have sightings of Rabbi Shimon where Amorayim argue about how far or to what extent does Rabbi Shimon not say that there is muksa? So he says there isn't muksa, but maybe there are certain circumstances where there is muksa. For instance, we'll bump into the fact that if you have a lit candle, Rabbi Shimon does not let you walk around with it. There are other instances where Rabbi Shimon might agree. By no law, depends on the Amoraim. They argue about where Rabbi Shimon also thinks there might be some form of muksa in the more extreme forms of muksa. But in general, we know that Rabbi Shimon believes that there is no muksa. Rabbi Yudha believes that there is muksa. Now, Rabbi Nechemiah has an unusual position. Rabbi Nechemiah, we're going to see later on in the Sechta, believes that A kli cannot be taken except for its primary purpose. Only its primary purpose and nothing else. So now, first of all, in that category, Rashi and Tosafot over here disagree about what does that mean. Rashi seems to indicate means that the only reason you can pick up something is for its primary utility. Nothing else. And therefore, for instance, if you're sitting at the table and you want to play with your silverware, according to Rabbi Nehemiah, that would be problematic if you're twisting around the silverware, because the primary utility of silverware is to use to eat with, 
and to fiddle with them, that is not included under their primary utility. According to Rabbi Nechemia, that would be problematic, the way Rashi is describing it. So too, you would never be able to pick up, according to Rashi, any anything that had a primary utility, which was a visur, then you couldn't pick it up. A hammer. You could never pick up a hammer on Shabbat, because its primary utility is to bang nails in, which is a sur in Shabbat. Because of that, you wouldn't be able to pick it up on Shabbat. That's the way Rashi understands it. Tosafot says that Rabbi Nechemia is not that extreme. Because Rabbi Nechemia will allow you to pick up something, L'Tzorech Gufo, which makes sense, that you pick it up, or L'Tzorech Mikomo. Now these are exceptions that we're going to bump into later on in the Mesechta, which is that we have different levels of Kelim. Kelim is the prerequisite for something having utility on Shabbat to be able to carry it on Shabbat. Something's outside the realm of Kelim, then it's automatically Muksid, because you wouldn't plan on using it unless you designate it. And that's something, again, in muksa you have to know. Certain things have a default status of being muksa. Certain things have a default status of being mutar. So things that are default status muksa is something that's not a kli. So for instance, stones that are outside, branches that are on the floor, they have a default status of muksa because they don't have, in within your mind, you're not going to utilize them on Shabbat. And therefore, you have them outside of the realm of what you would utilize on Shabbat, and they are automatically muksa unless... You designate them as otherwise. If you pick up a stone and say this will be a doorstop before Shabbat, then you could take it out of the realm of muksa. But its default status is muksa. A kli, when you have a kli, then generally it will be within your realm of Shabbat. Because kli utensils are things that you use on Shabbat. But they're different types of kilim. What we call kli shemelachto the heter. Kli that has primary utility is for something that you can do on Shabbat. Silverware which is you used to eat with, its primary utility is something that you can do on Shabbat, that's a kli shemalachto heter. On the other hand, we have something called kli shemalachto yisur. A utensil whose primary purpose is for something that would be otherwise a sur on Shabbat, an example of that is a hammer. A hammer's primary utility is something that's a sur, and it's still a kli, it's a utensil, it's just primary utility is for something that is a sur on Shabbat. When you have a kli shemalachto yisur, as opposed to the rocks and the branches that are outside, which are muksa, and there's no exception to that, if you haven't designated beforehand, a klish malachto isur, generally we believe tzarich kufo and tzarich mikomo you're allowed to use. Which means tzarich kufo means if you utilize it for its own purpose that is het there, that's okay. If you utilize it, you need the space where it's sitting, it's okay to move it. That means if you have a hammer that was left by accident on the couch, and now you want to sit on your couch, you can pick up the hammer to make space so that you can sit on your couch. That's a kli, shemlach toli yisur. It's primary utility is something asur and shabbat, but if you need that space, you can move it. Also, if you want to take the hammer to break nuts, you want to crack open nuts on shabbat. That's tzarech kufo. You need the hammer to do that on shabbat. You're allowed to do that on shabbat. Even though its primary utility is melechet isur, nevertheless, if you do something that's tzarech kufo, that you're utilizing it for heter, that's allowed on shabbat. So that's an exception of Tzarech Kufo and Tzarech Mikomo. There's another category called Michama Litzel, moving something from the sun into the shade, which is basically protecting the item. Can you lift it for its own protection, not for any purpose that you need it, not utility that you need it, not for space that you need it, but simply to protect it? That, by Klishim Lachtoli Sur, Michama Litzel is a sur. You're not allowed to do that. You cannot pick up something and protect it, move it from the sun into the shade. There is another category of kli, which is muksa machmat chisaron kis. There's certain kilim which, because of their nature, their price, their value, they're so expensive that you only utilize them for their primary purpose. For instance, a camera. A camera you only use for taking pictures, you don't use a camera as a doorstop. 
So a camera is muksa machmatz chisaron kis because its only purpose is to take pictures, and because of its value, you wouldn't use it for anything else. So that is a quick review of what muksa looks like. So Rashi just said here, according to Rabbi Nechemia, kli can only be utilized for its primary purpose. If it's not its primary purpose, then you can't utilize it. Tosafot disagrees and says, even Rabbi Nechemia agrees that you can use it for Tzarek and Tzarek Mikomo. Because Tzarek Mikomo is not its primary purpose. But yet the Gemara later on says, Rabbi agrees that Tzarek Mikomo works. By Kailim Shalheter, and even Mestosot says, by Eklish Machtoli Sur as well, possibly according to Rabbi Nechemia. So what Rabbi Chemia basically says, and the way Tosfot phrases it is, Lo shari Rabbi Nechemia la tashmish haregila sopo b'chol, afilu eino tashmish amyuchad lo. That you can only utilize it for something that you would use during a weekday, even though that's not its primary purpose. If you would do this during the week, then you can utilize it on Shabbat in that way, as long as it's a utility that is severe, something that would be considered to be within the realm of normal, and what you would do on a weekday, then you could do it on Shabbat. So over here, what the Gemara is suggesting is that the Rechemia is the author of the position that when it comes to Shofar and Chotzetzrot, that you're not allowed to pick up either of them. So that was the first statement. That was what we had back with the Chazanic Neset. We say that you had to put away the Shofar and the Chotzetzrot. So Rechemia will be the author of that position that you can't move them on Shabbat, you can't utilize them at all. According to Rashi, that is because their primary usage is for blowing them. And to utilize them for anything else, Rabbi Nechemi would not allow. According to Tosafot, utilization of this item on Chol, you would not normally feed a child with these items on Chol. That's not, that's a usage that's possible, but it's not something that you would normally do. And since it's not something that you normally do, even though it's a utility of Heter, and it's Tzorch Gufo, nevertheless, Rabbi Nechemi would not allow that, because that's not the normal way to utilize it. So the Rebbe Nechemia is the author of the Brayta that says, no shofar, no chatzotzrot. Now we come over to Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon is going to be the author of the position that says, thumbs up to shofar and thumbs up to chatzotzrot. Rabbi Shimon says that there is no din of muksa. Therefore, it doesn't matter shofar, it doesn't matter chatzotzrot. Both of them you can carry on Shabbat. The difference being between a shofar and chatzotzrot is that a shofar is bent. The trumpet is straight. So the Gabeyamo Mayim Latinok is only possible or plausible with the shofar because of its arc. Therefore, you could hold the water in it and then you could funnel it out or pour it out. The Chatzotzot, which are flat, you're not going to be able to pour water into it. It's not going to help you. It's a long pipe, basically, and that's not going to help you. But for Rabbi Shimon, who doesn't have mukse, no problem. He's going to be the author of the last writer that we brought, which is Kashem Shimataudalim et Shofar, Kach Mitaudalim et Chatzotzot. You can carry both of them, no problem, no muksa. You can carry both of them, we have no issues. The other brighter that we brought, the first bright that we read today, which is shofar mitaltel and chatzotzrot enan mitaltelim. You're allowed to carry a shofar, you're not allowed to carry chatzotzrot, it will be authored by Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda subscribes to the fact that there is muksa on Shabbat, but he has an exception to that, which is a kli, shemlachtoli isur. That you can use for Tzarech Bufo and Tzarech Mikomo, like we described before. Plus, he says you can use a Kli Shemalachto the Heter. Rashi over here claims that the difference between a Shofar and a Chatzotzrot is that a Chatzotzrot is a Kli Shemalachto the Isur. It has only one utility, and that utility is for something that's a Sur, and therefore it is a Davar Shemalachto the Isur. And since a Davar Shemalachto the Isur, it's Muxeh. And you can't use it, you can't move it on Shabbat. On the other hand, what about a shofar? So Rashi says about a shofar that Torah li alav. It's a very strange comment because so does a chatzotzrot have a Torah li alav. Most understand Rashi to say that it's a klish and lachto the heter. 
A shofar is a kli that has utility both for Yisur and Heter. And since it has a tzad heter to it, that you could be the gamea bo ma'in latino, considered to be a klisha malachto heter. And that's the difference. Mi'udah says, chazutro, no, because it's a klisha malachto the yisur. Only utility is for yisur, can't move it on Shabbat. Shofar has utility as a klisha malachto the heter. Therefore, according to Mi'udah, you can move it on Shabbat. Tosafot disagrees and says he doesn't see that at all. He thinks that both of them are klisha malachto the yisur. But, and if you look at it, it's the top, top line on the top, Tosfut and Lamed Ava, Ramav, he says, the Rebbe Yudah, metaltalim shofar, afagav demachlo diisur, you can carry it, shari letaltel, the tzorach gufo, the tzorach mikomo. You can carry it because it's tzorach gufo, tzorach mikomo. Now what Tosfut is going to run into a problem with is, how is the chatzotrot different? If you're able to use the chatzotrot for tzorach gufo or tzorach mikomo, that has some melechad het there, then also you should be able to carry it on Shabbat as well. Why does Rabbi Yudah distinguish? So Tosafot says, and this is an interesting part of Tosafot, and it narrows the machlok between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yudah significantly. Because Tosafot here says, Rabbi Yudah believes, Tzarek Kufot, Tzarek Mekomo is mutar b'klish malachto li'isur. He says that Rabbi Shimon also agrees that Michalman Letzel is asur. To move an item from the sun into the shade to protect it, if it's a klish malachto li'isur, asur according to Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold the muks, I told you. In certain cases, the Rishonim believe, and in more extreme cases, he does. So Tosfot says he does think that there is muksa by Chama Tzel. If you do that, there is no difference between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yudah. They both agree, Klishim Lachtal Yisur is Sarek Rufo, Zerek Mekomo is Mutar. They both agree, Chama Tzel is Asur. How do you distinguish between them? So there's going to be this nuanced item that distinguishes between them, and that's the difference in our case, and that's Chatzot So Tosfot calls Chatzot Asar, Mishum Dekevin Delo Chazil Lamechet Heter, Elam At. Mikatzalei Degamri, Mimelechet Heter, it's true, Chatzotzrot do have utility as heter. But it's so far-fetched that it's something that is remote. Because of that, it's no longer considered to be a Tzarech Kufo and Tzarech Mikomo. So Tosfot will distinguish between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon in this nuanced item. Which is that when you have an item that is a Klish Malachto de Yisur, if it has utility to heter, then you can use it for Tzarech Kufo and Tzarech Mikomo. On the other hand, if it's heter, Tzarech Heter, is so remote, it's something that is far-fetched, then Rabbi Yehuda is going to believe, can't use it. Not Tzarek Kufot, Tzarek Rabbi Shimon will say yes. And that's the difference in their opinions here. The Chatzot Tzrot, Rabbi Shimon says, go ahead and use it if you want. Tzarek Kufot, Tzarek you can use it. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, you cannot use the Chatzot Tzrot over here because the Chatzot Tzrot, a Kalish Machtel, the Yisur, Tzarek Kufot, Tzarek would be Mutar, but it's so far-fetched the head third side of this that it becomes basically all the Yisur. The example he gives is what if you have a bed which you put money on. It's a bed that's designated for leaving money on it. Now true, you could lay on that bed, you could sit on that bed, so there is method heter. But generally, what do you do with this bed? You put it down, money down on the bed. When you put money down on the bed, that's muksa. It makes it into muksa. And since its primary usage is for muksa, and the other utility of heter is so remote, that makes it into legamre, and you can't even use it for tzarekhu v'tzarekh mekomo. That's the way Tosfud is megader, the position of Rabbi Yehuda. So in summary, what we have here are three opinions and three brightot. We have a bright that says, no shofar, no chatzotzrot, that's Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Nechemia, either going to Rashi, who says that you can only use it for its primary purpose, or going to Tosafot, that you have to use it for a purpose that is normally on chol. Second bright that which says, yes by shofar, no by chatzotzrot, that is authored by Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rashi, because shofar is kli, shemlachto ole heter, chatzotzrot are kli, shemlachto lisur. According to Tosafot, they're both but Shofar has the dispensation of Tzarek Kufo, Tzarek Mikomo, that's normal utility, and the Chatzot do not have that, 
Because it's a far-fetched utility. They have the third b'rita, which says, okay, bye, so far, okay, bechatzotzot. That's authored by Rabbi Shimon, who says that there is no muksa when it comes to klishim elachto b'isur. Now, the last thing we had to say was Rav Chista. It's according to Rav Chista, who says, my shofar, nami chatzotzot. When we say shofar, it also means chatzotzot, because... The brighter that we brought before, that the Chazana Knesset had to put the shofar away, says, She'ein mitaltalim lo'eta shofar ve'lo'eta chatzotzrot. Which one would you be less likely to think you could carry? Well, chatzotzrot, it's more obvious that you wouldn't carry it. Well, if you term it in the brighter as, you can't carry a shofar. Listen, if you can't carry a shofar, you certainly can't carry chatzotzrot. So the order of that brighter seems to be reversed. It should have said, lo'eta chatzotzrot ve'lo'eta shofar. First teach me chatzotzrot. Then teach me shofar. Why is the bright out of order to say shofar then chatzotzot? It's based on the statement of Chista that shofar and chatzotzot got exchanged, got switched. Which is, Damar of Chista, These three items, their names were flipped. Once the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, then they changed. Chatzotzot were a mainstay in the Mikdash. After the Mikdash is destroyed, the term chatzotzot then gets lifted and used for something else, which is chatzotzra shufra. Today in Babel, they use the word chatzotzro, trumpets describe a shofar. What was a shofar in the time of the Mikdash? We call chatzotzro today. Shofra, what they call the shofar in the time of the Mikdash, now it's called a chatzotzra. So if you do that, you go back to the Braitha, what it's saying is, shofar, shofar is a trumpet. That's what a shofar is. And therefore it makes sense, because now you've gone from a progression of what's more obvious to the less obvious. So then my nifkamina, what's an afkamina? The shofar shall rosh Hashanah. What do you use? You're only allowed to use a shofar in Rosh Hashanah, not a chatzotzrot. So how do you know which is a shofar? Go find what they call a chatzotzrot today. That is a shofar. That's the bent horn, not the straight trumpet. Same thing he says is another item is arava and siftzifa. Arava is the willow that you use for the lulav. And that's kosher. Siftzifa is a willow, a type of willow that is not kosher. It has rounded leaves. They're more circular leaves. And they're not allowed to be used for Aravot on Sukkot. So now the name switched. And Tzapsafah is an Aravot. The Mainaf Kimi, what's the difference? Lulav. So now, today, when you want to go get the Aravot that you need for the Lulav, you have to go get a Tzapsafah, not an Aravot. Even though Aravot is what you're looking for, because the names got swapped, then you have to use the Tzapsafah now. Torah, 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 Torah. Before, they used to call a Torah a big table, and a Torah the little table. But then they switched it now where a ptorta means a big table and a ptora means a little table. The mind you know, what does it matter? It's the mechal chumemkar. It has to do with business dealings. If someone sells you a ptorta or a ptora, you have to know what it means. Today a ptorta means a big table and a ptora means a little table even though it meant the opposite in the past. So Amar af anu ne'amar. We can even add on to that. Rapista gave three examples. I have an additional example which is hovlila bekase bekase hovlila. They switched. These have to do with the stomachs of a cow. The digestive system of the cow, we know, passes through a number of stomachs. The first one that it reaches is the bekasi, the bekosot, which is the reticulum. The second stomach it reaches is the hovlida, which is equivalent to the hamseis, or the omasum. So it goes first to the reticulum, then to the omasum. So originally, the way it was worded was that the hovlila was the first stomach, and the bekasi was the second stomach, and then they flipped it, so now that the Beikase is what the Hovlila was before, meaning that now the Beikosot is the reticulum, the first stomach, and the Hovlila is the second stomach. The Hemseis Omasim is the second stomach. The Mainafkimina, why does it make a difference which stomach it is, is the Machat. For a needle that's found in the walls of the Beitakosot. The difference being that the Omasim has a very, very thin wall to it. 
And therefore, if you have a needle inside of it there, even if it doesn't penetrate all the way through, we assume it penetrated through, because the wall of the amassum is very thin. By the big kosot, first of all, they have a thicker wall. And in addition to that, they are wrapped around each other. So it actually creates a double ply wall, because it's wrapped or folded on itself. And therefore, even if there's a puncture in one wall, we assume that the other wall protected it. So there's a difference in terms of trefot. If you have a needle in there, whether you're in the reticulum or whether you're in the omasum, so that makes a difference. If it only penetrated one part of the wall, one side of the wall, it's kosher. If it went through the entire wall, then it's a trefa. That's not true by the omasum. Even if it goes through a part of the wall, we assume it went all the way through because the wall is so thin. So next is, Amaravashi, Af Anu We have another one that got switched. Bavel turned into Borsif. Borsif turned into Bavel. What was known as Borsif before now became Bavel. And what was known as Bavel before now became known as Borsif. They switched the names. Lamai Naf what's the difference? The Gite Nashim. has to do with Gitin. Rashi says that he thinks the difference is you have to, in the get, term the man's name, the woman's name, and then you have to say where they came from. What's their locale? So-and-so from. This so-and-so from. So if you put in Bavel or Bosif, you have to make sure to utilize them as they are utilized today, which is Bavel and Bosif. Tosavot rejects that because he says Bavel and Bosif are not names of cities. They're names of regions. They're names of areas. So therefore, in a get, you don't use that. Get, you use the city, not the region. And therefore, he favors Rashi's first interpretation, which is that the Gemara Gitin says in the beginning, when it comes to Gitin, the people of Bavel were experts in Gitin, and therefore they did it lishma, they did it properly. And if you brought a get from Bavel, you didn't have to say, You didn't have to give a stamp of approval to this get that it was done properly. Whereas if it was brought from Borsif, that would not be true. So the nafkamina here is in Gitein Hashim, is whether you have to say, do you have to get a stamp of approval that it's Lishma, or is it by default that it's Lishma? And from Tosafot, it seems like Medina. He says it's a general, it's a more, it's a region, an area, or a Babel. But the way Rashi's reading it, it seems more like a city, or a smaller area on the Euphrates. Meaning that they're both on the Euphrates River, it's just a question of where on the Euphrates River, and the names got swapped. Right now we begin the next parak, Perak Akira. Perak Akira is extremely important because it basically deals head-on with what we can involve with every Shabbat. And in terms of cooking, not literally Mivashel Shabbat, because in general we don't run into problems of cooking on Shabbat. We run into problems of the Dinei Dirabanan that are enacted, erected around Bishol to prevent us from being Mivashel Shabbat. So that's what Perak Akira is dealing with. Just as some background to the Perak, you need to know some terminology because we're going to bump into it in a couple of minutes, which is, there's something called Shia. Shia is the leaving of an item going into Shabbat on a heat source. As you go into Shabbat, you leave an item, it's fully cooked, it's totally fine, but you leave it on a cooking source as you enter into Shabbat. We bumped into that in the first parak. First parak, we have machlokir between Beit Yilel and Beit Shemai as to whether when you start a melacha before Shabbat, are you allowed to let it continue into the Shabbat? Beit Shemai says no. Beit Yilel said yes. But we had the Mishnah that said even Beit Yilel agrees that if you leave food on the fire going into Shabbat, that you can't do that because Shema Yichateh B'Gichalim. We're afraid that you're going to stoke the fire. So even Beit Hillel in certain circumstances agrees you can't leave food on the fire going into Shabbat because of this fear that you're going to stoke the fire. This fear is very great because in Ikar, or the, one of the mainstays of Shabbat is the meals. And so there's a lot of pressure on the one who's preparing the meals to ensure that they're hot and that they're ready. 
Because of that pressure, they might forget themselves and come to stoke the fire, and we're very worried about that. That is the issue of Shia, leaving something on the fire. There's another concept called Chazara, which is to return something to the fire. I'm just saying most of the Rishonim believe that when we're talking about Chazara, we're talking about an item that was left on the fire going into Shabbat. On Shabbat, you remove it from the fire, and now on Shabbat, you want to return it to the fire. That's called Chazara. Chazara is that you've taken it off the fire on Shabbat, and now you want to return it to the fire on Shabbat. Tosafot over here has an unusual opinion, it's a minority opinion, that Chazara applies even before Shabbat. That if you take something off the fire before Shabbat and put it back on, that's called Chazara. Even before Shabbat. The problem is, what's the difference then between Shia and Chazara? All Shias, you put it on the fire before Shabbat. Chazara just means I took it off the fire and put it back on the fire before Shabbat. What's the difference between them according to Tosafot? So Tosafot distinguishes between how much time is left to Shabbat. If there is a lot of time left to Shabbat, that's called Shia. That you left it on the fire. Even if you took it off, put it on, that's called Shia. Chazara is when the remaining time to Shabbat is so small that you couldn't, if you started out raw, you couldn't cook it in time before Shabbat. Or other possibility is that you couldn't heat it up enough that it'd be fully cooked by the time you get to Shabbat. If you take a solid, so you have a piece of meat that's already cooked, fully cooked, and then you want to put it on right before Shabbat, according to Shabbat, that'll be called Chazara. Because you're doing it right before Shkiat HaChamah, you wouldn't have enough time to cook it on a weekday. That's called Chazara. Alright, so that's Chazar according to Tosafot. The Ran disagrees but He says Chazar only applies on Shabbat, not before Shabbat. Now, Shia, in all cases, we're going to be more makil. Shia in general, the Locha by Shia is that it's, we have less restrictions. Chazar has a higher threshold. So just know that. We can see in the Mishnah that Shia has a lower threshold. Chazar has a higher threshold. So that, you just know. Tosafot has that unusual Shita about Chazar being before Shabbat. But in general, Chazar means it was on the fire into Shabbat. You take it off your fire, replace it on the fire. Shia is that you're leaving it on the fire going into Shabbat. Leaving it on the fire going into Shabbat, we're going to have less requirements, less of a threshold than we have when you're trying to return it onto the fire on Shabbat. Right, so the Mishnah here, it's unclear if the Mishnah is speaking about Shia or Chazara. Gemara is unclear. Gemara doesn't know. And the Gemara actually brings different possibilities. Because of that, and we'll see that in the Rishonim, there are different six K halacha that comes out of this Mishnah, depending on what you think this Mishnah is speaking about. So let's first look at the Mishnah, and then we'll try to understand it. Kira sheisikua bikash o begavava. A kira is the equivalent of what we'd call a stove top today. And there day, basically, it was a hollowed cone shape at the top, had an open area where you could put a pot down on it, and the fire was found down below. That's called a kira. It sometimes has a place for one, it sometimes has a place for two. The Gemara will get into later about the difference between the names for a stovetop that has one, a stovetop that has two. Tosafot deals with why maybe it's not an ohel when you put the pot on top of it, but that's not really important to us. What happens here is that a kira, if you fired it up with cash, with straw, regavava, with stubble, ishtubula, what Raja calls ishtubula, then you can put something on it. You don't have to do anything. Going into Shabbat, or what seems to be Shia, going into Shabbat, you can put something on it without doing anything. On the other hand, if you use peat, here Rashi says it's the sesame seed leftovers after they squeeze the oil out of it. Uh, they can use it from olive dregs as well. Or if you use kindling or wood, then you may not put it there until you clear out the fuel source. Or unless you pour ashes on top of it. So here we have a distinction between kash and gavava and gefet and etzim. Question is why? Why is there a difference between these fuels? That's the first thing. The second thing is, what does putting ashes on top of it do for you? I understand what goref does. When you sweep out 
all the coals, there are no more coals to stoke anymore. You've cleared the whole fuel source. There's no fear. You can't stoke it anymore. So then, I understand what you've done. When you pour ashes on top of it, what have you accomplished by putting ashes on top of the coals? So that happens to be able to start with that. That's a machloket Rashi in the Ran. Rashi says that the reason you put ashes on it is lechasotam oletzanenam. It cools it down. It reduces the fire's ability to fuel and to heat here. It actually is no longer a good heat source once you put ashes on top of that. So Rashi says, no, that once you reach that point, you won't stoke it because you reduced it to the point where stoking it will not necessarily be efficacious. It's not something that has the ability to really push the fire or decrease the heat anymore. And that's the purpose of the ashes over here. The Ran says it's simply a hecker. It's a way to show that you're not, you're, you're removing your mind, you're mekatsing your dot from this coals, because when you put the ashes on it, it's counterintuitive. When you put ashes on it, it's not, it's not, you're doing exactly the opposite of what you'd want to do, which is to stoke them. By doing that, that's a reminder, that's a head care, that you won't stoke the fire on Shabbat. Now the question then becomes, what's the difference between Kash and Gavava and Gefen Eitzim? So according to Rashi, Gefen and Eitzim, the reason you have to put the ashes on top of them is because otherwise there would be a heat source. There would be a good heat source. And since they're a good heat source, you have to either get them out or cool them down. On the other hand, Kash and Gavava, they are not a good heat source, period. They're not good fuel. Since they're not good fuel, they don't heat it anyway, so there's nothing to talk about. You don't need to cool it down because they naturally cool down. They're just not a good heat source. They are burnt up. Straw and stubble burn instantly, and there's nothing left anywhere. Right, you're probably extinguishing them. They don't have any value in being close to them, but it cools off. It's going to become important in one second why Rashi explains the say The Ran, on the other hand, says, well, the difference between them is whether they create a coal or not. Kach and Gabavar are consumed. They don't make a coal. There's nothing to be yechatek because there's no coal anymore. On the other hand, definite seem, when you burn them, they leave a coal behind. A coal behind, you can't stoke. So the difference between Kash and Gabavar is that there's no coal, and the other is that there is a coal. Now, this difference comes up by what's the problem over here? Rashi says that the problem over here, it's a very interesting Rashi. Rashi says, if you look, Ad Shigrof, Hagechalim, I tell you why about the Chalim, Mishum, the Mosif Hevel. They're Mosif Hevel. Now, Mosif Hevel means that they increase the heat intensity in the oven. Mosif Hevel is a terminology that's only used by another that we bumped into earlier this week, which was Hatmana. When your Mat means something, when you totally encapsulate, insulate something, then we said before, you're not allowed to do that when it's Mosif Hevel. Even me, Be'ol Jom, you're not allowed to do that when it's Mosif Hevel. Rashi claims here the problem of leaving the pot on the fire is a problem of Atmana. The problem of Atmana, the Ran speculates that Rashi said this because we just ended off the previous parak with Atmana. That was what we discussed in the Mishnah about the items that you're allowed to do, Benesh Mashot. And then next parak is Bametomnim. Is that Atmana? So the parak sits between two pieces in the Mishnayot that are talking about Atmana. So this must be a, a derivative of Atmana somehow. And that's how Rashi learns it. Rashi learns here the problem is the reason you can't use Gefet and Eitzim is because they're Mosif Hevel. Mosif Hevel and Atmano is Asur. And Rashi, if he's not explicit here in the Mishnah, you say, yeah, he says Mishum Hevel, on Lamed Chedem Bet, top Rashi on Lamed Chedem Bet, says it explicitly. Lamed Chedem says, if you try to put a pot back on the fire, lo muchuf to shakile adaita dadure, when you take it off, it's not clear you're going to put it back. Uvat lala hatmana. You've ruined the hatmana. What hatmana? How like a chat can be matmin lechatzila? As if you're going to put atmana from the start. What are you talking about atmana for here? We're talking about on top of a stove top. It's clear that Rashi views the problem here as being hatmana. Therefore, Rashi keeps talking about something, whether it's a heat source or it's cooled down. 
Rashi focuses on the heat because Rashi is worried about Hatmana. Hatmana is a problem when it's mostly Fevel, when it's an increasing heat source. It's not a problem if it's not mostly Fevel. And that's the difference, Rashi said, between Kash and Gavava and Gefin and Eitzim. Kash and Gavava are not mostly Fevel. Since they're not mostly Fevel, there's no problem with Hatmana. On the other hand, Gefin and Eitzim are problematic because they're mostly Fevel. What's the solution? According to Rashi, the solution is either to sweep them out, so it's not mostly pebble, or put ashes on them. When you put ashes on them, what did Rashi say? Sananam. That cools them down. And in cooling them down, that gets rid of the problem of Atmana. Tosafot says, I don't understand. There is no Atmana here. This is Shia. This is Chazara. This has nothing to do with Atmana. The only two fears are, are one, Shema Yechatebi Gechalim. Maybe you stoke the fire. And a secondary fear, which is Mechsekim Avashel. It looks like you're cooking. Now, generally, when we're talking about going into Shabbos, Mexican Mavashal doesn't matter. You're allowed to cook on Chol. So over there, when you're coming into Shabbat and you're doing something, the reason to be a source is because Shema Yechatebi Chalim. On Shabbat itself, we might have an additional problem is that it looks like you're cooking on Shabbat. When you place something onto a fire or closer directly towards the fire, that looks like you are doing Mabishal on Shabbat. Mexican Mabishal. So therefore, we're going to have a higher threshold for doing things on Shabbat, which is called Chazara. Right, that gives you a basic peer view of what's going on here in the Mishnah. You're allowed to put hot water on, but not a tavshil, not a cooked item. You can put hot water or an item to cook. says you can take it off, but you can't put it back on. says you can even return it to the fire. So I'm going to ask the question right away. Now, when we're talking about this Mishnah, when we say you shouldn't put it on, when you say don't put something on, does that mean lo yachzirhu? That means don't return it to the fire. Lo yitain means don't put it on, but don't return it. Of all the shahot but it would be permissible to leave it on the fire going into Shabbat. katum. Even though you didn't clear it out, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, you didn't clear out the coals, you didn't put ashes on the coals, nevertheless you're allowed to leave them on Shabbat. Why? Because when it says, lo yitain, achi grof, achi yitain, is chazara. Don't put it on Shabbat back onto the stove, unless you've cleared the coals, or you put ashes on. Coming into Shabbat, if you're in Chol, Arab Shabbat, you can do it without doing any of this. Nothing. And who's that like? Umani, chananyahi. It's chananya we bumped into already. The Tanya, chananya, omer. Anything that reaches the threshold of Machal ben Jusai, whether it's half or a third between Rashi and the Rambam, that is, anything that reaches that threshold, you can leave it going into Shabbat, even though it's enu garuf, enu katum, even though it's not cleared out. Because there are two things, basically, in Chananya's opinion. First of all, Machal ben Jusai is considered to be fully cooked. If it's fully cooked, then you can't cook it more. Meaning that you might be able to cook it more, but that's not called bishul. Number two is he does not require garuf katum. Does not require that you clear out the stove in that case because nobody's going to worry about it. It's already past the threshold where it's cooked enough that we're not going to worry about it. The Chachamim disagree with him on two points. Number one is, even going into Shabbat, Shia, you have to do garuf katum. Number two is, even if it's Kemachal ben Dusai, you still have to do Garifa and Ketima because we're still afraid that as long as it continues to be better when you cook it, that you're going to do something about it. Even though it's quote-unquote cooked, nevertheless people will stoke it to make sure that it is fully cooked. So therefore the Chachamim disagree with them on two points. But what we're going to say is that the Mishnah is talking about a case of Chazara. Mishnah is that only when you're trying to return it to the fire on Shabbat, and according to Tosvot, even before Shabbat, then you need to do all of these prerequisites of clearing it out, putting ashes on, doing something different. Whereas, Shia, if you leave it on the fire going into Shabbat, no problem. As long as it's Kemachal ben Jusai, so it's past that threshold, 
you're free to do as you please. Leave it on the fire. We don't worry about stoking it. And Hananiah will be the author of our Mishnah. Oh, Dilma. Or maybe the Mishnah means L'shahot, Tanan. Our Mishnah is talking about Shia. Like the way I basically explained it going into the Mishnah. The Mishnah is talking about a case where you're trying to leave it on the fire going into Shabbat. Over there you need Garuf Vikatum. Over there you need to enable yourself to put it on the fire by either clearing out the coals, putting ashes on them. V'garuf Vikatum in. If it was done like that, you can leave it on the fire. Ilolo. And certainly to put it back on the fire, you'd have to do that. Being back on the fire is something that has a higher threshold. So if you have to do that to leave it, then certainly to return it, you will have to do that on Shabbat. So Tashma. Our Mishnah actually has two dinim in it. Beit Shemai and Beit Hilo argue about two things. They argue about hot water and tafshil. And then they argue about a separate issue, which is when you take it off, can you put it back on? Makes it sound like the first half of the Mishnah and the second half of the Mishnah are talking about two different items. One part of our Mishnah. Second part of our Mishnah. So when it says, If you say the first part of Mishnah is talking about Shia, now I can understand the Mishnah. This stove that you used as a fuel, cash and gavala, you can leave it. Going into Shabbat, you can leave something on it. We have no fear. Either because there's no poles there, or going to Rashi because it's going to cool down by itself. But gefet ubeitzim, when you use the other types of fuel, lo you may not leave it going into Shabbat in chol, achi grof, au achi teinefer, until you do something active to change the status quo. Rashi says you have to put in the efer, remove them to cool it down. The rod and others say that you have to do it to have a hekir, that you won't be mechateta gechelim, so you won't stoke the fire. You've got to clear it out before Shabbat. Umahein mishahin. And what are you allowed to leave on the fire going into Shabbat after you've done this? What are you allowed to leave? Beit Shemai omim chamin avalot of shiel. Beit Shemai says hot water, yes. Cooked items, no. Beit Shemai chamin vitashiel. Both of them you can put on. And just like they argue about Shiyah, they also argue about the second argument in our Mishnah is about Chazara. Beit Shemai says you may take something off the fire on Shabbat, but you may not return it to the fire on Shabbat. And Beit Shemai you can also return it to the fire. So that makes sense. If you say the first half of the mission is talking about Shia, second half of the mission is talking about Chazara, then have a reason why you have two different Machlokot between Beit Shemai and Beit Shemai. On the other hand, if you say it's lechazir, then how are you going to explain the Mishnah? If you use these poor fuels, then you're allowed to put something back on the fire on Shabbat. In that, you can't put it back until you clear it out or you put on ashes. And what can you return? Shemai says you can return hot water, you can't return a cooked item. Then, Shemai says you can take and not return. Doesn't make sense. Didn't we just say that Shemai says you can return hot water and not a tabshil? So why is Shemai saying you can take it off and not put it on? We already know what he says about putting it back on. Doesn't make sense. Gemara says, well, we will say that it's talking about Chazara. And the Mishnah is missing some words. This is what it meant to say. Kira, she sikua, bikash, ubigavava. Kira that was fired up with fuel of kash and gavava. Machzirin alea tabshil. Then you can return something on Shabbat. The get of eitzim, lo yachzir. That's given eitzim, you may not return it on Shabbat. Achi grof, achi itainet eifer. Unless you do one of these items. Avalishahot mishahin. Like Hananiah, you're allowed to leave it on the fire. 
If you do nothing, you can leave it on the fire. And what are you allowed to leave on the fire? Not what are you allowed to leave. Then they're defining for you what you're allowed to leave on the fire in Shia. Beit Shemai says only hot water, and Beit Dalel says anything. And in the beginning of the mission, when I told you that Chazara you're allowed to do if you do Garaf Kotom, Lav Divri that's not according to everybody. Ela Machloket Beit Shemai U Beit That's a Machloket between Beit Shemai and El. Beit Shemai Omrim No Plain Below Machzirin. Beit Dalel Omrim Af Machzirin. That's only according to Beit Dalel who says you can do Chazara, not according to Beit Shemai who says you cannot do Chazara. Question is, why did the Gemara go through all its trouble to do this? The Gemara is now coming up with a convoluted way to explain the Mishnah that it's talking about Chazara. And they have to do all these somersaults and missing words in order to explain it, which seems somewhat far-fetched. Tosfot says, why? It says, Mishum the Kainulah and Kechananya. We paskin like Chananya. And if we paskin like Chananya, the Gemara wants to go out of its way to explain the Mishnah like Chananya, who we paskin like. So if you know from Tosafot, so this is the answer to the question about Halacha Lamaise. Tosafot believes the Halacha Lamaise, the Halacha is like Chananya. The Halacha is Chananya, which means that going into Shabbat, if you have something that's past Machal ben Drusai, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to put a blech, you don't have to do anything. You can leave it on the fire as you please going into Shabbat because there is no requirement. We pass like Hananya. On the other hand, to do Chazorah on Shabbat, then you'll need Gorof Katum, you'll need a blech, you'll need some sort of distinction on Shabbat in order to return it to the fire. That's the way Tosafot paskins. On the other hand, the Rif and the Rambam disagree. The Rif and the Rambam paskins like the Chachamim, and they say that you need both. For Shi'iyah, you have to do Gorof Katum. That means going into Shabbat, you want to leave something on the fire, you have to have a blech there. You have to be Gorof Katum. You have to do something that distinguishes it, either cools it off, which the blech reduces the heat of the fire, or something that's a hecker, that's not the normal way that you cook. Even going into Shabbat, you need that. That's number one. And number two is that machal ben dusai is not sufficient. It has to be at the point where it's even, depending how far along, mitzvah yafalo, eh, mitzvah yafalo, and something that, if it gets better when you cook it, we won't allow it, or something that's totally raw, where when you put it on the fire in Shabbat, you're going to put it out of your mind. You're going to make that, so therefore we don't worry about Shema Yechateh et ha-gichalim. brings down two opinions. He brings down Allah, he says, one opinion says that you need Garfukotum for Shia going into Shabbat. That is the opinion of the Rif and the Rambam. And there's another opinion that says that you don't need Garfukotum going into Shabbat. That's the opinion of Rashi and Tosafot over here. He brings down both opinions. The Alocha were Choshesh for the Lechumra were Choshesh for the opinion of the Rif and the Rambam. And therefore, when you're going into Shabbat, we insist that it's Gorof HaKotum. We insist that you cover the fire. You put a blech on if you're going to leave items on the stove going into Shabbat, because we bask in Lechumra like the Rif and the Rambam. The one Afkamina will be if you forgot. Going into Shabbat, if you forgot to put on a blech and you left something on the fire, if it already was cooked past Machal ben Jusai, then it might be mutar to eat it on Shabbat, because... Even though you're quote unquote in violation of Isor, according to Tosun Rashi, you're not, because we pass on like Hananya. So there's a tzad het there, but Makamatzorech, to rely on the Rashi and Tosufot. The Chatfil, obviously, you can't do that. But because there's this difference of opinion, you might have a dispensation in that case to utilize it. So again, the Aloha, we, or way that we practice is that we think that Shehiyah needs what we call Garufi Katum, and therefore you need a Blech on it in order to prevent there any problems of Shemi Yichatet Chalim. It's even better if the Blech covers the knobs. Because then you can't move the knobs. Today, our yechateh b'chalim is to move the knobs. But according to most puskim, it's enough even if the fire is just covered, either because it reduces the heat according to Rashi or according to others. It's a heker. It's enough of a heker. And then you can do shi'ah going into Shabbat. 
Again, assuming that you're past the point of machal ben drusai, or you are doing something totally raw on the fire. If something totally raw, you're going to be mekatsim edatmiyot. Something that's past machal drusai is already mebukshal, and we assume that it'll be ready for that night. By water or liquids, they have to be at boiling point. Going into Shabbat, waters or liquids have to hit boiling point before you can leave them going into the Shabbat. If they're not at boiling point, then they haven't reached the point of bishul, and then you have a problem. So the difference between liquids and solids. On Shabbat itself, for Chazorah, you definitely need Goro Fukatum, because if you need it for Shia, you certainly need it for Chazorah. There's an additional requirement, that's Machloket Ashkenazim and Svaradim, whether you can put it back directly on the Blech, or you need something else to intervene. According to the Ashkenazim, you need something else, because it's Mechsekim of Ashel, that's what Tosun and the Ran mentioned. It looks like cooking, so you can't even put it on the Blech. You have to do something in addition. You have to do Al-Gabe Kedera. You have to do a pot on top of a pot. Some people allow you to invert a tin pan, something that makes it clear that you're not being Mevashel. On the other hand, the Sephardim believe that you just like here, by Shia. So to by Chazara, you can just, if it's Gaur Vakotam, you can take it back onto the fire. There are certain rules about what you can return to the fire that we'll get to later in the parak. Stop here.